All right. Welcome to the Pro Football Doc podcast. I know it's Pro Football Doc. We're going to talk about some other subjects today. I'm often excited to have special guests on, but today more so than typical. And I feel like this interviewer that I saw this week, I, I, I feel like uh, I'm this person here. I'm so excited here. Congratulations, the Cure Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2019. Are you as excited as I am? Um, by the sounds of it, no. It's so nice to meet you. So, John, you're probably not as excited as as I am over this thing, but uh, I'm excited to have you on. So let me properly introduce you. Dr. John Heffron, I know him as a uh, attending, a professor during my residency, and uh, know him very well. Great surgeon, great doctor. The rest of the world probably knows him as the last dance doctor. Uh, longtime Chicago Bulls head team position during the Chicago Bulls Michael Jordan heyday. Uh, so uh, in some ways, he's pro basketball doc, so to speak. So practicing at Northwestern University there. So let's welcome to the show, John Heffron. Thank you for joining me. Thanks, Dave. Nice to, nice to be here. No, I, I am thrilled here. Uh, timing is great because we're in the middle of playoffs and lots of, uh, you know, basketball related injuries and, and what have you. And I thought it'd be fun for people to hear from your perspective, some of the things that were happening. So my first question to you is last dance, uh, doc. Were you guys aware of the documentary at the time? Did you ever think it would be such a big splash like it did, you know, that it made? I mean, or was it just, oh, we forgot about that and here we go? Well, I, uh, I, I, I figured it would make a uh, big splash. I, I, you, know, you know, when you record those, you never know how much, how much the tape is going to be actually uh, left on the cutting room floor and how much you'll be in it. So... It was fun for me because uh, I was on the second hour and um, a lot of people recognized me on there and I got a lot of calls and uh, things from people that I haven't seen in years that they always saw you on that saw you on that documentary. So it was a lot of fun and I think it was a good well done and um, it came out at a time when there was during the COVID crisis so it was really the only sports show on TV so I think everybody watched it. Yeah. So, um, you, you, yeah, you now have what, uh, what do they call it? IDBM or IBDM, whatever credit, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> uh, in terms of what's going on. So, uh, that's, uh, that's really, uh, pretty, uh, cool here that, uh, let's see. So last dance here. And if you really go to, uh, the, uh, credits, there you are known for, the last dance, which is uh, pretty pretty cool there. So you mentioned the cutting room floor. Uh, what should what did we miss? What should shouldn't have been on the cutting room floor, either from your perspective related to medical or a perspective of what you know you're behind the scenes seeing it all. What 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 are some of the things we missed from the last dance? Uh, well, I. I think that, I think overall it covered as much as it could. Although you know it was, it was a long documentary. Um, the uh, I think one person it missed it missed Johnny Bach, who was the uh, 
one of our assistant coaches who is a remarkable assistant coach and um, was well loved by everybody at the Bulls organization. And uh, Johnny's passed away and there wasn't anything about Johnny Bach in there. Uh, of course, there are other, other stories that they couldn't put in about, uh, you know, the behind the scenes stuff about Michael and, uh, and being in the office with him and coming in and, and uh, you know, our various conversations. And one, one thing I think that was, that was interesting in uh, comparison to what we see now with the players and their agents and the involvement of the, uh, a lot of other personnel other than the team doctor and the, and the player or the patient is that when Michael uh, broke his foot and we started down that road, I was speaking to him in the office and I said to him, you know, Michael, do you want to, uh, do you want to talk to your agent about this or, you know, who else should we engage anybody else? You know, and Michael says, listen, he says, doc, it's just me and you here. He says, it's my foot. You're my doctor. He says, he said, we don't have to talk to anybody else. This is, this is us. So uh, that was uh, very refreshing. <laughs> and you haven't been a team doctor, you know how complicated things can be when you get a lot of other people involved in the conversation. Well, there's no question. And, and they're well-meaning people, but it's sort of like the, uh, the aunt who's a dental hygienist that has to flex her muscle in the medical world, the agent that may or may not know, or the family member, whatever. And I let me tell you, I've told this before. I can tell you the whole... For example, when I said the same thing to Philip Rivers about his ACL, hey, who else do we need to talk to here? Your dad, your wife? No, nobody, uh, just me. And uh, I've often, when players have come in to tell me, hey, my agent wants me to do this, and myself and our head athletic trainer would say, well, what do you want to do? Remember, your agent works for you. You know, I mean, if you say, no, I want to follow his advice, okay, then let's follow his advice, but don't say, my agent wants me to do this what do you want to do you're in charge of, of what's going on so that that's good so what other i mean of course i know you would never betray any confidences or hipaa or anything like that but any other good stories that that you can tell us that that were left on the cutting room floor related to the last dance uh and we don't need even names or medical specifics or anything like that just uh from your perspective having been there and witnessed everything firsthand well i i um you know i i always had great respect for michael i mean he uh having if you're traveling with him as we did for the playoffs it's really amazing at the amount of attention that we directed directly to him and and I always felt one of his character traits, which was very strong, is that he always accepted the fact that he was that he was Michael Jordan, and he was different, and he had a different outlook on things than a lot of people did, but he never fought that. So he was always willing to accept all those things that went with that without really protesting very much about it. And I thought that was remarkable because... You know, he was the focus of attention everywhere that, that he went. Uh, as an example, when Michael would come over and we'd have to go to the hospital for a test or something, it was very interesting. He would, he knew all the back ways to get it. He knew the hospital better than I did. He knew all the back doors and the back alleys to get through the hospital without being recognized by anybody. And 
<laughs> and we we would have interactions with people at various times. I, I remember once I uh, I took him one morning over to he had to see one of our specialists for something or other. And we walked into the the office early in the morning. There was only one older woman there. This one, Michael, was quite young. And so she stares at us and she says to him, uh, are you a basketball player? <laughs> and uh, he says, yes, he's always very polite. Yes, ma'am, I'm a basketball player. He said, well, who do you play for? He said, I play for the Chicago Bulls. And she says, well, what's your name? He says, well, my name is Michael Jordan. And she says, oh, I've heard of you. <laughs> So we have all those interactions like that, very personal with uh, with people. And he was always, always extremely polite with people. And he he dealt well with people from all walks of life, from uh, you know people on the street to to people who were presidents of corporations. He was always very nice to them. Yeah, I remember one time. Uh, obviously, no specifics. You had him in the hospital and uh on the concierge floor for some privacy and and he was under an alias you know it was the first time that i realized you could do that medically when i was a resident there and and you really needed to right because of all the yeah. attention <laughs> that uh that he garnered uh, um all right so uh if you could say settle the great debate food poisoning or not that game oh <laughs> No, I, I don't I don't know that he had food poisoning. We always we thought he might have had altitude sickness. Mm. Let me All see right, so there we go. I had to punch the yeah. yeah. No, no, no problem. So uh, maybe that pizza place is exonerated. Yeah, I, maybe <laughs> it may very well be, <laughs> you know. Interesting. All right. Um Look, we could talk about specific injuries and there's a whole list of them right now, but I'm most curious about this and I've come out and said it. I don't know if you saw it. In my experience, the great ones end up downplaying injury. Like, oh, I'm not hurt. They're almost like will themselves to be invincible. I'm always at 100%. I'm always better. Whether it's Tiger Woods with the red... Uh, you know, uh, shirt on Sunday or Tom Brady with his thumb almost torn off and everything's fine. And Michael, to me, from pseudo close, but not as close as you, nowhere near, um, had that in him. Did you, what are your thoughts if you've heard that LeBron James, who's obviously great in his own right, has made a point of saying, including recently after his high ankle sprain, saying, I will never be back to 100%. And I get his point. It's like every day, every year, I'm a little older. And when you're injured, are you really? But what do you think about that? Am I correct in thinking that's different than what Michael would say? Even if he wasn't 100%, he would say, I'm 100%, I'm good to go. Whereas LeBron seems to take a different tack. And I, I'm not trying to be critical of one being right or wrong. It's more of a compare and contrast. What do you think about that? I think Michael's attitude was was different in that he he always wanted that psychological edge. He never wanted the other team to know that he was hurting. Um, so 
as an example, you would see sometimes he, he always wore some sort of a knee support or something and maybe a forearm brace or something like that. If you look back on it, sometimes it would be on the left side, sometimes the right side, et cetera. So he never wanted to wear anything that would raise attention to the fact that he had something wrong with them. He, he had a fracture of his, uh, he had a facial fracture once. Um, and some of the players back then would wear those plastic uh, masks, if you will, for, the, for that. He would absolutely not wear anything like that because he did not want to show the other team that he had an injury. Maybe, maybe they would target that injury or something like that. So his attitude was always to, to not let anyone know that, that there might be some, he might be under some issue uh, medically. Um, the other thing we always joked about is his, his dad and I would usually sit on the plane close to each other and talk. And um, I, I distinctly remember one day coming in, he said, well, how's Michael doing? I got on the plane. He said, well, he's sick. He's got the flu. He's, you know, he doesn't feel well. His dad would say, well, that's good because he'll probably get 45. You know, and we did joke around that he, when he didn't feel well, he seemed to really play well for some reason. And I have no idea why, but <laughs> he seemed to take it almost as a challenge if something was bothering him that he would that he would use that to try to improve his performance. Or or, or Doc, you should have just taken credit that it was all all your treatment and that yeah. you got it better. <laughs> yeah. So so here are some of the basketball articles that we've done. But what, so what you're saying is that my being a little bit shocked at LeBron James saying he would never be 100% on his ankle, that that indeed is different than what other people or what Michael would do. Not saying one's better than the other, but it's a different tact. Uh, Michael would never, even if it were true, admit to something like that. That's true. He would, he would, not, he would not admit that. Gotcha. Uh, we would talk about it. He would not want it out there publicly. No. Gotcha. Um, so. Um, what do you think? Here's the next thing that I want to ask you. Um, and did you see the comments from Charles Barkley related to Anthony Davis there? Uh, I'll play him for you here. Anthony Davis, uh, I told you, the Lakers can't win this, 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 this series. Forget about the championship. They can't win this series without uh, street clothes. <laughs> <laughs> you want to explain that? I call him after the street clothes Davis because he's always in street clothes. So I, I play that for you because the next game, uh, obviously Barkley's a savage there, and I know you've got all sorts of experience and whatever over time with him, but he criticized the next game. Anthony Davis tried to play with that groin and left about five, six minutes into the game. And Barkley criticized the Lakers medical staff for letting him play. You have any take on that? I mean, I had a take, but I want to hear yours. Well, I, I, uh, number one, as you know, these, these guys in, in football, as well as in basketball, but really in football in basketball, they are extremely tough people physically and they will generally play with a lot of 
injuries, which uh, are minor to them, but would set down uh, the average athlete for sure. Um, and I, our, my philosophy was always that the players could play as long as their injury, they wouldn't do themselves any harm if they were going to, to perform and get hurt. So, so I, I don't know. I think, I think Anthony Davis trying to play with a groin strain was, was not unreasonable, um, but those groin strains can really hurt. And, and, you know, he tried, but he was unable to do so. I don't think the Lakers doctors felt he was at great risk for any permanent injury. So if, if he felt like he could perform, uh, I think it's reasonable to let him to let him go and make that call. Well, I think your opinion and mine then are fairly similar. I thought it was a little unfair of Barkley to say that after the fact. Uh, and uh, the way I looked at it is it was an elimination game. The Lakers were going to lose if they if Anthony Davis didn't play and play well. And earlier in the series, when he went out, I figured he would indeed miss the rest of the series. And I thought that tipped the balance from Chris Paul, Chris Paul's reemerging shoulder health uh, versus Anthony Davis headed the other way with the groin into the sun's favor. Cause you know, after Chris Paul got hurt, it, it was a three, one lead for the Lakers. Then Anthony Davis gets hurt and then they lose three straight and they're out. And that was a game seven. And you and I know, look, a groin strain, they, I'm sure they knew he wasn't hundred percent. They were like, let's see what we can get out of him." And he wanted to try. And he wasn't going to turn this into a surgery and sure he could hurt it more, but the season's over either way. And it's not going to leak into next season. So I didn't think the criticism was fair uh, to say that about the Lakers doctors. And as you say, we're just the doctors. We don't make the final decision, right? The final decision needs to be between the medical, the player, and the team. It has to be, you know, everyone has to be in alignment to, uh, to go. So tell me, um, what do you think about the Joel Embiid situation? Slight, small, lateral meniscus tear. Return to play Sunday night. Scored a lot of points. The uh, Sixers did not win. Give me your thoughts on that. Well, I, I, again, I think that's a clinical judgment because, as you know, uh, well, yeah, you and I know as well. I mean, if MRI scans are these, these tears, if you will, on an MRI may or may not be of any significance. So I think that's a, a clinical evaluation, not just an MRI decision. And... Um, you know, years ago, uh, one of our team physicians did MRI scans on all his players. This is when first MRIs first came out. He was doing them on every guy every year. There would be 12 guys. They were all abnormal. You know, they're 10 out of 12, 25-year-old, 27-year-old guys would have normal MRIs. Uh, so you and I know that you have to have to use the MRI as a tool, but you can't make that your determining factor. So, well, I say all the time, really well. And, uh, yeah, you know, obviously, uh, you didn't have a badly significant, uh, meniscus dairy wouldn't have been able to play that well. Yeah. And I always say a couple of things to that. One is, you know, I get a chuckle out of a team saying, um, we're getting an MRI and we'll let you know about the Achilles or the ACL. We already know, right? Just off of exam clinically. Um, and the other thing I'd say is you're right about MRIs and I'll add something else. 
I always say an MRI is like, uh, if you buy or sell a home, it's the home inspection report. Every home looks like they're about to fall down. Why? Because the home inspector doesn't ever want to get sued that he missed something, he or she missed something. And the same with the radiologist. They see Joel Embiid, uh, they see a combine player, and all, every little possibility could be rule out, becomes, you know, uh, and every little, especially as MRI scans go from 1.5 Tesla to 3 Tesla, and you're seeing subtle nuances, I think you do get that. So we hope Joel Embiid is, uh, is uh, fine there. So uh, I don't want to keep you too long because I know you're, you're working here. So the last time I actually saw you in person, I have to tell this story to others. I don't know if you remember, uh, randomly at Deer Valley a couple of years ago skiing, and you were up there and you were like, yeah, I'm there with my grandkids, et cetera. And you looked at me and I had little kids with me. I said, yeah, those aren't my grandkids. Those are, those are mine. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that or, or, or I not. I do remember that. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but in any case, uh, what else have you been up to? Open-ended. What do you want to talk about? Anything as we close off here? Because I promised you uh, 20 minutes and we're already there and a little bit past. Well, I, I don't, uh, I, I, I'd be glad to talk about plenty of Michael Jordan stories if you want to hear a couple. So Yes, I think that's what we're all uh, here for. Yes. You know, Michael used to, uh, when Michael broke his foot, he would, he would come to the office and um, of course he had a cast on, the old fashioned cast, and uh, he'd always bring his shoe. <laughs> he'd always bring that shoe for that, hoping that that was the day when he'd get off his cast. And so he would, he would, He'd come in with an extra shoe for his casted foot, and unfortunately, you know, unfortunately for him, most of the time we'd send him off with a new cast on, and he so he'd leave his shoe behind. He'd autograph it for my secretary, who ended up with a whole bunch of Michael Jordan autographed. I can't remember if it was right foot or left foot, but she had a whole bunch of those autographed shoes hanging around. Well, <laughs> of course, you would expect that from Michael, right? It's like influencing the referee, right? You yeah, know, like. <laughs> Uh, if you act like you got fouled, maybe you get the call kind of thing. Exactly. But but as smart as Michael is, I'm surprised he didn't figure it out that uh, uh, he should have brought in the shoes and said, look, uh, uh, the, the fact that he kept autographing shoes was probably disincentive for the office staff, right? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> those That's true. those true. shoes were worth, worth a lot of money there. <laughs> uh etc but that's right one time he was teasing my uh my son who was about oh gosh five years old then he maybe six he he would tease him that his father wouldn't buy him those michael jordan shoes he had these old crummy old gym shoes made by somebody else so well I, i'll tell you i i uh obviously i was in residency there in the time and liked to play a little basketball and by the way look just so everybody knows John Heffern is a pro basketball doc. Like I say pro football doc. Look, I had some experience with the Bulls through John as a junior, junior assistant. I've had experience with the Timberwolves, but not as the main guy. So, you know, look, John knows football. He can do that too. And I know basketball, but I defer to him on pro basketball stuff because he was a main guy for decades doing this. But uh, since I was a young, poor resident at the time, I even got a pair of Michael Jordan shoes. I don't think you know this. <laughs> I still remember it was this little sporting goods store downtown, but I couldn't afford the fancy ones. I was on the discount aisle and it was a pair of blue 
Michael Jordan, Air Jordan shoes. It was a dark blue and a light blue swoosh. And some people made fun of me for it on the uh, basketball court, but that's all I could afford at the time. And I thought it was still cool because they were Air Jordans. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I kept them for, <laughs> for a, a long time for uh, for that reason. Anyways, any other stories to wrap up with Michael I'll, there? I'll tell you or... one other story that I think most people don't know. And this is a good example of Michael's sort of his confidence and competitive spirit. You know, he when the, the first time we, he ever made a shot, the shot to win the game. We were playing, we were playing Cleveland out in Richfield Coliseum. It was game, I think we, that was a six game playoff. I think this was the last game. And uh, we had lost to Cleveland every game that year. And they were the, they were the top ranked team in the East, I think. And we were lowly ranked. So we took them to the last game. And uh, so, right, we were up by, couple of points and right in front of us Craig Hodges was guarding Craig Elo who is a good player for Cleveland and Elo went back door on Hodge and he dunked the ball and Hodge felt really bad about not about this guy beating him to the hoop and so they came and sat down right in front of me in, in the bench I always sat right behind and I'll never forget that My, Michael put his arm around Hodge he said Hodge he says he said Hodge he says uh, don't worry he says I'll take care of it. And uh, Doug <laughs> Collins called the play, which was essentially everybody got out of the way, throw the ball to Michael. Michael took the ball, jumped up in the air, sunk the hoop. We won the game. And that was, that was the beginning really where we, we became a, a, a substantial team. And he, that was his first like shot that he made that ended a, ended a series. Uh, well, awesome. Uh, well, uh, John, thank you very much. Okay, the David. original, the first and last, last dance, doctor. Thanks for joining me here on Pro Football Doc Podcast. Back with part two of the Pro Football Doc. I don't know about you guys, but uh, I had fun talking to the last dance doc himself, my former attending professor. And he actually broke some news, right? He said, probably not food poisoning that big game maybe uh altitude sickness in any case michael always uh overcomes and he told some good uh michael jordan stories mj stories as as well so we appreciate dr heffron there on to pro football doc podcast part two uh look the covid weirdness continues look i hope covid just leaves and gets behind us but the weirdness really continues here as much as we want to maybe uh, move on. And here's what I mean. I don't know if you guys saw this, but uh, this oh, was, was just spectacular to see. Tomorrow will be fun, folks. Again, 2.30 special start time tomorrow, live tomorrow. Jack, look forward to sharing it once again with you the final round here on CBS. Thank you, Jim. What's going on here? Somebody just gave John some news. This is not good. So, bottom line is uh, that was John Rom. We have no idea. Six strokes clear of. Let me pause this here. It was just spectacular to see. 
six strokes clear of the lead at the memorial going into the final day as he comes off round three is pulled off the course and said he tested positive for COVID and he's done. And I think it was a $1.6 million prize. That certainly is unheard of. It was contact tracing and then he had to do daily testing. And apparently if he had a vaccine, maybe he wouldn't need it. I'm not trying to get into the controversy of, of the vaccine, et cetera. I've taken the vaccine. I do encourage people to take it, but I'm not being critical. Um, but that's just more COVID weirdness in terms of things that continue. I'll give you something else that I thought was uh, COVID weirdness. Uh, how about uh, this? Uh, the Raiders new stadium, Allegiant Stadium, has yet to host an NFL or Raiders fan, but the first fans allowed inside will be WWE fans for SummerSlam. Now, admittedly, a preseason game will have been played, but not regular season game. So I think who would have thought that Las Vegas would build this multi-billion dollar stadium, the NFL would finally go there, and the first quote real sports with you know fans is indeed wwe so look i'm not wwe is blown up right they're on fox everywhere and i've worked with the wwe as a physician before and uh as they say it is scripted not fake so what they're doing is real it is scripted but it's real in terms of their athleticism. But I just find it interesting that the WWE gets to open up a quote a sporting event with a packed house before an NFL regular season uh, game there. In addition to more COVID weirdness, there's been lots of talk of who is or isn't vaccinated and players not answering. I think it's their right not to answer, but uh, I think it will become clear who is and isn't based on the rules of when you see people around because the rules are set up if you're it's it's going to be very clear if you're an assistant coach and you're not vaccinated you won't be allowed on the sidelines um, you won't be allowed at practice uh, with the tier one team and players and of course the different mask regulations so the nfl weirdness and the COVID weirdness unfortunately will uh, continue here next topic Toradol, the quote, pain-killing injection. First of all, what is Toradol? Toradol is an anti-inflammatory, admittedly a strong anti-inflammatory with pain-killing properties. Advil, ibuprofen has pain-killing properties. But the NFL and the NFLPA at least, for a dec over a decade now, they're at it again uh, they want to get rid of Toradol. Um, the NFLPA has been trying to get players to decrease Toradol usage for over a decade, still a popular choice of the players. I'm not sure why this tweet was uh, deleted, but it has to do with the PA saying, and the PA slash NFL group of doctors saying, try to use less Toradol. Don't use injectable Toradol. Use the oral or nasal form of Toradol. It's just as effective. So if it's just as effective orally and nasally versus a shot, and there's no data to show that the shot is more, more powerful, 
And there's no doubt it will show that the shot has more side effects. Why is it okay to do orally or through nasal mist, but not okay with the injection? Now, to me, that's perception of pain-killing injections, uh, et cetera. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what the, what the motive is to bring this up again. It's been out there for over a decade to decrease the use of Toradol. When we were in, when I was in the NFL, our head, our uh, medical physician did a study on the safety of Toradol, and we deemed that it was safe for episodic usage. Toradol is okay for 20 doses. You can't take it chronically four times a day for five days. And so we decided that we would limit it to once a week for no more than 20 weeks. Right, so uh, it's not four times in one day for five days, and then again and again, it's just on game day. And we refuse to give it to players for practice or throughout the week uh, to play or to practice. And that was our safety measure, and we studied that and didn't find anything harmful. So I don't know. It's just interesting that the Toradol controversy still exists. It is not a narcotic. Look. And the other thing is, it is a misnomer. It is not fact that players are given lots of pain medicine or narcotics to play. You can't play the game of football and think and react that quickly if you're on a lot of pain medicine. Uh, so this is why they like the tour at all. It doesn't slow your thinking process down or your, or your reaction time down. It helps with pain perhaps during the game, but most would say after the game in terms of post-game soreness there. All right, let's uh, try and go through the NFL rundown a little bit here. Uh, thankfully, you know, uh, we're not that busy in terms of NFL news, which is a good thing because we don't want to want to be too busy. want to give some kudos here to uh, uh, Weston Richburg uh, that uh, he's retiring and he's been through a lot. Uh, he had the patella tendon issue in 2019 and then missed all of 2020 uh, with the hip scope. And two years out of the NFL in his age, he was likely done and, and good to see him re retired and move on to a new chapter in life. And congratulations to him. Next up, there was lots of Joe Burrow talk because he's been at OTAs and been seen throwing and moving around some. And uh, I did look at the video and uh, right now I'm probably uh, a favorite of uh, Cincinnati Bengals uh, fans uh, because uh, so far, you know, not trying to count your chickens before they hatch, we've been right. We've put out video from the get-go that despite ACL, MCL and patella tendon, uh, patella subluxation issues. I expected Joey Burrow to be ready to go week one, and his current video seems to think that as well, heads in that direction. And, and so uh, Bengals fans, just remember this when I'm wrong one time uh, in the future. Patrick Mahomes uh, says if there was a game he'd be able to play, I don't doubt him. That doesn't mean that he's not 100% from his turf toe surgery. Remember, he had the turf toe and was limited, yet played in the playoffs and in the Super Bowl. So uh, I don't doubt him, and I think it's smart uh, never to doubt Patrick Mahomes at all. Otherwise, here we have... Uh, NBA rundown of injuries, and we covered some of them with uh, our last dance, Dr. 
Joel Embiid. Look, meniscus tear. Dr. Heffernan talked about overread. I hope it's an overread. Embiid played well in his first game back, 39 points game one, but his 76ers lost. Look, you saw him grabbing at his knee some. I hope he's okay, but there's no way Embiid is 100%. And it makes sense because in basketball, you have to play both ways, right? You have to play offense and defense. And if you're less than 100%, you usually end up concentrating on the offensive side and, you know, saving your energy and being careful on the defensive side. The defensive side is also more vulnerable to knee injury, especially meniscus tear. Quick cutting, twisting movements, reacting to an offensive player is harder than taking a shot or dribbling the ball to a basket or pulling up when you want to because you're in control. You've heard me say it a lot. It's easier for a running back to come back from an ACL tear than a cornerback who has to react instantaneously to a route or to the ball in the air. Same for Embiid playing defense. It's harder to play defense than offense. Had a great game. I hope it continues. I hope he's safe. I hope the tear doesn't get worse. But he put up 39 points, but his team also put up or allowed 100 and almost 30, 120 know, high 20s and uh, lost in a very high scoring match in uh, game one. Hopefully that will improve for them. Luka Doncic did his best to survive that cervical radiculopathy, but is knocked out in game seven against the Clippers. No fault of Luka's, he played better than I thought with that neck and nerve issue. Interesting to see now what he does, whether they calm it down, whether it's injections or whether perhaps he has a cervical disc surgery just to put it behind him before the regular season. CP3 continues to uh, play through uh, with his shoulder issue, whether it's stinger or subluxation, I still think subluxation, but we don't need to get into that. The bottom line is that he was better off than Anthony Davis, as we said, and then finally, James Harden already ruled out for game two. Game one, within the first minute, pulled up with his hamstring strain. It's listed as just tightness. Let's hope so. But let me tell you, he's, he missed five weeks, 22 games with the hamstring. He's re-aggravated it. I hope it's just tightness, but I think it's more than tightness, probably a mild strain. I don't know how long he's going to be out, but I would put the over-under at about two weeks. Uh, so that means his Nets who won game one might have to survive this Buck series without him. We'll see. But uh, over-under on his return, I would place at two weeks as a guesstimate. All right, so that's basketball here. And uh, let's move on to our next segment here as we continue with the Pro Football Doc podcast. And uh, news, breaking news, Jawan James, he had just filed a $15 million grievance hinting at collusion between the league and the team. And then what? He turned around and signed a contract, two-year deal for $9 million with the Baltimore Ravens. I've said all along that he's unlikely to play this year. But I don't think that's a bad stash pick. This is the old days when you put a guy in injured reserve when he really wasn't injured, right? And just to save the guy for the future. Look, uh, Jawan James, I still don't believe he's going to play this year. And I think Adam Schefter tweeted to that effect. So basically now they have some depth 
which is either late season or for next season, 9 million over two years, or you could say 9 million to play next year. That kind of mitigates his damage from the Broncos, lets the Broncos off any potential hook. Good to see for the guy. I mean, he's still valued, obviously, by the Ravens. He's going to get $9 million for the next two years, probably miss all of this year. But that hopefully puts an end and mitigates some of that controversy when he potentially lost that $15 million working out away from the facility there uh, and determined to be non-football injury. So good for Jawan James. And I think it's a good deal for the uh, Ravens as well. So uh, congrats to uh, both of them. But that's really a, a stash signing for the future. All right, so let's move on to what happened here, go through a couple videos here, and uh, a couple guys getting destroyed here. Oh, before we do that, um, let me give a shout out to my guy here, uh, Steve Antonopoulos, Greek. He calls himself that, all right? Greek. And that's what everyone calls him. He calls himself that. He says, call me Greek. 45 seasons with the Denver Broncos. Finally retiring. Look, he really is great. And uh, congratulations. That's tremendous longevity. Look, uh, he's one of the, the tops in the league. Uh, Ronnie Barnes with the Giants has that kind of seniority. The only other one was Fred Zambrelletti of the Minnesota Vikings, someone that I had the fortune of working with slash under when I was young, when I was a young guy with the Vikings in 1994, 94, 95. And Fred was already the dean then. When Fred retired, he was the only athletic trainer and he the only athletic trainer the minnesota vikings had ever had to that point in time and in an unprecedented move the vikings put him in the ring of honor uh and so uh maybe greek will get that same honor as well from uh in mile high there with the broncos and fred was also ahead of his time because he was a physical therapist and athletic trainer and that's sort of the norm now for everybody so kudos to greek my friend uh, best of luck in your retirement and your next chapter he was with the broncos for all eight of their super bowls so i think he should be in their ring of honor uh, congrats to uh greek there now let's move on to what happened here and a couple of videos here. The first video we'll look at here is a pretty brutal hit. Montreal Canadiens uh, chasing down a pup, puck and gets destroyed. He went to the hospital. He obviously had a concussion. Thankfully, he uh, did not stay in the hospital and uh, was cleared to leave that day. He absolutely gets destroyed. I'm not going to go into legal, illegal play. That's for the hockey pundits to talk about. But I said at the time that I hoping, expecting him to be okay, even though he gets destroyed. I mean, this is getting hit by a truck. And I think what he has going for him is that he didn't see it coming. And he goes completely limp, which is why he really gets blown up, but actually helps save serious injury because there's no resistance. He just goes flying. Uh, 
And that's why I think he saves himself from more serious injury. And I'll give you another example here. If you're faint of heart, this is the craziest injury or fall that I have ever seen at a sporting event. So avert your eyes if you don't want to see this. And I was there. I was the X Games head team physician, X Games, quote, chief medical officer for 19, almost 20 years. I was there in Staples Center for this. Uh, and uh, now that you've been warned, watch out. This video is unbelievable. But we'll, I'll tell you why I'm showing it after it's done. Avert your eyes if you don't want to see something spectacular. It, it is a little bit gruesome. But let me give you the ending. He's okay so that you don't have to have your stomach turned. In 2007, Jake Brown stood at the top of the ramp trying to pull off the first 720 over the big air gap. What do you think we can expect from Jake? And now he's going for the 720 to a big 540. 720. Oh, he's gone! But it came at a heavy price. Oh man, that was that was the heaviest slam we've ever seen. That's the worst spot he could have felt those bottles. Look at this. He turns his body and he says, "I'm all right." And takes it. His shoes. Did you see that? Are you kidding? That was Tony Hawk on the commentary in Sal Masakela. So anyways, um, yeah, that's uh, pretty uh, unbelievable right there. And uh, let me tell you why, and we can go look at it again if you want. He actually walked away from that as he saw it. And yes, his neck was checked out and his back and everything else. So let's go over why I think he was able to, quote, walk away from that. Not here. Going to the wrong thing here. So let's... how to get it to the spot there but in any case you never want to land flat bottom the transition makes you safe he landed flat bottom because he had so much speed doing that 720 that he got kicked out but watch what happens to jake brown as he comes down he turns and he goes limp as he goes limp his feet his shoes get blown off and then his legs, then his hip, then his back, and then his upper back, then his head hit. So it sort of dissipates the fall. Look, if you would have told me in real time, is he alive or dead after that? I would have said dead, but he actually got up and walked away. Let me tell you, Staples Center, I've never heard a sporting event. You know, you hear like pin drop quiet, uh, pin drop quiet. That's what it was. And uh, after tending to him, he actually, quote, walked away with relatively minimal injury. Uh, he returned to make an appearance at the X Games after a little bit in the hospital there in the ICU. Um, fantastic. But my point is this. If Jake Brown stiffens up 
he would have had a shattered femur, shattered ankle, broken back, etc. Because he went ragdoll, and that's what the Canadians hockey player did, was ragdoll. He actually walks away. Look, how often do you hear a story, unfortunate story, and hopefully we never hear of this again, that there's a drunk driver accident and people die and the drunk driver walks away, didn't even have a seatbelt on, ragdolls around everywhere, but bumped bruises sore, but walks away. So there is something to that of absorbing the energy of the blow as opposed to taking it on. It looks worse as you absorb it, but many times the results are better. Uh, for example, in this hockey injury and this uh, X game injury. So, all right, thanks for watching Pro Football Doc Podcast, part one and part two. Thanks to the last dance doctor again, Dr. Heffron. And thanks for his training me over time and hope you enjoyed this episode. Follow on YouTube to always get updates and subscribe uh, and uh, as well as Apple and all the usual places. Thanks for watching and listening.